going to start the second week in our sermon series called In Real Life. Um, if you have not been here for this before, I want to explain a little bit what's going on. So since November, we've been collecting kind of questions, thoughts, um, insights, uh, things that we really deal with in real life, and we want to talk about them openly and honestly from Scripture, see what the Word has to say to us. Um, I just want to applaud uh, the Lord, really, because in the first week of IRL, um, if you were here last week, you know, we covered some stuff. All this stuff's going to probably be sensitive in some way, you know, because it's like stuff that we like, man, I really want to know how that works. Uh, but I want to encourage you that, um, and this is why I'm going to plug so much like family groups, Bible studies, one-on-one discipleship uh, groups. I mean, just, uh, uh, you know, if you know a brother or sister that, that even, isn't even part of family Bible, you want to go and talk about these things, like it's an opportunity to do that. There were so many great conversations that came out of last week. Um, our intent with the IRL series is that we would start a conversation, but we aren't trying to finish a conversation, right? We're trying to open up a conversation, a dialogue amongst the people of God, because we believe that not only are we called to read what the Word says, but we're called to do what the Word says with our lives. Like, that's a marker of, of, a, of a man of faith or a woman of faith. Um, what did Jesus said about his, uh, his people? He said, um, those who obey my father belong to me. That's who my brothers and sisters, my, my mother is. That's what he said, right? So we want to be those kind of people who are obedient to the Word. And that means a lot of wrestling, you know, with what, what God has said. So um, we, we actually believe that the Bible is inspired by God. We believe that he can inspire us to understand it. And so that's what we attempt to do. Um, this morning, I'm going to do a little bit of a, a, a premise as well. Um, what we need is to hear from the Lord, and what we need is to be open, you know. And that's the hardest thing, the hardest thing I'm telling you, to walk in and not carry prejudices with us, not carry our own pre-existing beliefs into the Word of God, and instead come open and, and, you know, this is part of that repentance thing, right? And acknowledging we don't have all these answers, Lord, we need to know from you what you what you uh, say is true. And so we, we believe that. So that's what our hope is, we enter into the Word. And because of that, now listen to me, because we believe that's true about the Scriptures, because we believe He inspired the, the, the Word to be captured and, and saved for us, He can inspire us to understand it. So it's not another book, it's not like an ordinary book. It's the Word of God to us if He imparts His wisdom to us through it. That's what our prayer is. So I'm going to ask if you would to pray with you this morning. We would have that kind of grace and that kind of presence this morning with Him as uh, we open His Word together. Please join me in prayer, if you will. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come today and to worship you in all your glory and majesty and with all creation sing the song of your praise today. Father, we've come from many places and many experiences and we all acknowledge that, you know, that we have baggage, that we're bringing stuff into this relationship with you. We pray, Father, right now that we would be able to check that stuff, that we would, um, all of us, Father, be able to leave it. Um, what we've done to this moment, what we've experienced till now, we could just set it at your feet and say, you know, you are God and we are not. Would you teach us? Would you show us the truth you have for us? Would you convince us in our hearts about what your word says is true? That, that we won't have to convince one another or, or have debates or, or arguments about it, Father, but that through um, loving interaction and conversation that you would reveal who you are to your people. We desperately need you, Father. We need you. For true life, we need you. And so would you do us, um, would you do what only you can do today and visit us in that way, Father? Would you uh, help us to surrender to you all the more and uh, believe you all the more today as we study your word together? We pray these things in the powerful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, so we're going to get started. And this week, this is a little different week two um, than week one. We actually started this, this week's um, question was a pretty pretty uh, basic question that we did kind of expanded over conversation. I've been telling you there's an IRL group has been working through this stuff, and I praise the Lord for that, those folks. And we kind of expanded this one question into a series of questions that we want to try to address today um, with the Lord's help. So here's, what, here's the question. It's on your sheet, by the way. If you grab the, an engagement sheet, it's on the back there. You can check that out. Uh, this is what the questions were. Uh, what is the biblical model for women in ministry and in the church? This was kind of the root of the question. Or can a woman be a pastor or a leader? That was one of the questions. That was the question. And then from that, we kind of expounded to this question of how are the roles of men and women interrelated in the church? Or how should we view and treat one another in Christ? And then the third is this. What is the difference between complementarian, egalitarian, and feminist perspectives? Right? Now, 
those aren't things you're going to explicitly find written like that in Scripture, but that's the questions that came out of this conversation that we've been having um, leading up to this morning. And so as we get into these things, we're going to, what I'm going to do, by the way, the format today, what we're going to do, we did, we did last week, we're going to kind of frame the issue, and then we're going to have a bit of a conversation, and then we're going to have some folks come up and sit and just talk about that today. Again, to begin the conversation, not to end it. And you can continue those conversations um, throughout the week and the weeks to come in your, in your own lives. That's our prayer for this series. So I'm going to ask you to turn first, uh, grab a Bible if you don't have one on the end of the chair rows, and we're going to look at Genesis 1. If you want to know, this is funny, this is a huge issue this week, and if you want to know where all this stuff starts, you know, it starts on page 1, which is kind of appropriate, you know. So we're going to check out Genesis 1 and a couple of verses here. Those of you who are Bible scholars, you'll know already that Genesis 1 is the creation narrative, you know. Uh, it starts with the famous words, in the beginning God created, okay? So we're going to look at verse 27 and 28, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what we can see here um, in God's original creation narrative, his, you know, speaking everything into existence. This is what the word says. So God created man in his own image. This is my translation, by the way. Uh, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I say mine, I mean the translation I'm reading from, not my personal translation, okay? I'm just letting you know that right now. Because I'm going to explain why I say that in a minute, okay? 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God gives some more instructions. And then you'll remember the story, right? He says it, it was the end of the sixth day and he saw his creation and it was very good. It was very good, right? After he does this. I say that I'm reading from this translation. It's the NIV um, a particular flavor of the NIV. But I want you to see some words in here. So what we know is that, that, that man was created. Now, I want, this is the word. The word here, God created man, is mankind, right? It's haram. It's people. It's, you know, humans, if you will, okay? So when it says God created mankind in his image, and then a lot of translations would still say in the image of God he created him, but it's the same. It refers back to the hadam, right? And then it says male and female, he created them. That's the same hadam. So you could read that first verse this way, and this is totally fair. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created mankind. Male and female, he created mankind. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's a fair treatment of the text. That's what's happening in the text. It's referring back to this creation narrative of his people. So the first thing, and I'm going to have a lot of these today, I think, you know. So um, the first thing that we have to recognize is that we are all created in the image of God. And, and that fundamental reality is what frames and should frame our experience of life as Christians, that we're bearers, image bearers of God. It's called Maggio Dei, right? Image bearers of God. And you see it right there. All of us, all of mankind, male and female, bear the image of God. We have to wrestle with what that means then for our lives. Do, do we see that? Do we, do we recognize that? Okay. Now, the second thing I want to point out is in verse 28, it says, God blessed them, same thing, right? And said to them, notice what the word says, right? To them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves along the ground. He gave, what well, someone would say, dominion to humans. He gave dominion to mankind. And that's the second thing that I want to point out from this very short um, two verses of text. And it's this, that he has given all of us um, opportunities and responsibilities. Now, I know you're like, well, this is the beginning. It's a big book. It is a big book, right? But this is the beginning. We want to start there, right? So he gave all of humanity opportunities and responsibilities. And I want to talk about that just for a second, okay? He said, um, uh, you know, man is the earth basically, right? And, and it's an opportunity to be obedient to do what God's asking us to do. It's an opportunity for obedience. But I love the second word here because this is one of my favorite words, even though I'm not all that responsible a lot. I mean, I'm just confessing that, right? But responsibility, I love the way that word sounds when it comes out of your mouth because it means you have the ability to choose. You have the ability to respond. You have the ability to use your gifts, your, your talents, your treasures. Whatever you have, whatever God has entrusted to you as part of his creation, he's given you the opportunity and the responsibility to use. It's up to you if you use it, right? And so that's the beginning um, narrative. 
found in the first chapter. I'm going to read it one more time before we move on from it, but I want you to hear it. God blessed them, right, Hadam, and said to them, Hadam, that's all referring back, you know, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So there's this kind of, you know, and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living creature that moves along the ground. Like that's Hadam, right? So I think it says that too, he gave them the seed of every plant. You know, he gave them all, gave us all that stuff. We say them like it's not us, but it's us. He entrusted it all to our care. Now, if that was the end of the story, we'd be like, well, what's the problem? That's pretty straightforward, right? But we're, now we're going to jump ahead into some, some of the um, New Testament texts where, and I want to explain a little bit of the context, Paul begins to write to the churches. Now, you have to understand a little bit of here. Jesus came, he preached the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is near, repent and believe the good news. This guy named Paul was a guy named Saul who didn't believe the good news, was actually persecuting Christians, and then God opened his eyes to the truth of the gospel. That's what happened, right? So Paul literally says the scales fell off his eyes and he could see the truth for the first time in his life. And in that, he became a great teacher and leader and apostle in the church. Paul did. And so Paul ends up writing a bunch of letters in the New Testament to the churches, instructing them in the things of God. Now, he is a unique character in that he was um, steeped in Judaism. He understood this creation stuff. He understood this, the situation that people were in. And yet he had this new revelation in Christ that he's the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh. And therefore, there's implications. And so he wrote some of these. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, these are the ones that people will love to quote. We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Two, so you can turn there. If you use one of our Bibles, the page numbers are up there for you, 798. Uh, if you use one of your own, it's probably not the same page number, okay? Give you just a second to get there. First Corinthians, that's the first letter to the Corinthian church, church in Corinth, chapter 11, verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and that the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved, she should cover her head. Verse 7, a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man because man did not come from woman, but woman from man. That's a neat trick, right? Verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, women is, a woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. There it is, right? But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God and have her head uncovered? Or does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it's for her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be content, contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now leave your finger there. You don't even have to leave your finger. I'm going to turn one page over to 14. Because I want to read, if that wasn't hard enough already, and I'm telling you, that's a hard teaching. If that ain't hard enough, we're going to look into 14. Um, and it's, I'm just going to read it with you. 33 through 40. And then we're going to come back and talk about these things. Verse 33 of chapter 14. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church. Verse 36. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Verse 39, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Wow. That's another hard text. 
right? I'm not laughing because it's not serious. I'm laughing because that's hard, man. I, I probably, and I'll tell you two things right now as we get into this this morning. Two things. I probably wrestled more this week with the girth of Scripture. And I'm not saying alone, the team with me, but I mean really, really tons of text on these things. And the second thing is it's like trying to get a sip out of a fire hose, <laughs> you know? It's just like, bah! You're drenched. You didn't hardly get anything in your mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lot. And I'm telling you that right now as we get into it, right? So I'm going to try to break it down a little bit. I want you to look, go back now to chapter 11, and I want you to look at verses just 3 through 7. We're going to talk about this crazy thing about, and I don't mean crazy in a bad way, but this crazy thing about the head covering. What in the world is, is Paul talking about to the church about head coverings, right? Um, and here's the, the point I want to say is that um, we are all to honor uh, whoever God has placed over us. Now, or, and the way I might want to say this, we are all to honor whoever God has placed us under, okay? And, and I'm going to talk about why I think that that's true from this, this text. Um, verse 11, looking at chapter, uh, verses, or chapter 11, verses 3 through 7. After he kind of gives them this, hey, you're doing a good job. You're remembering everything I taught you. He says, but, and he kind of gives them this corrective. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, okay? And so over all people is Christ. And the head of every woman is man, which is an interesting thing. And the head of Christ is God. So there's this kind of relationship with the Messiah. When Paul says Christ, he means a specific person of Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He's the, uh, the God is his head, if you stop for a moment, just a moment, and think about that, what you realize is that when you ask, if you ever ask that question, why was Jesus going up to the mountain to pray? Or why would Jesus seek time of refuge alone to pray? What's he doing? He is recognizing that God has him under authority, right? He has placed him in that position for that time. And we have to see that, all of us, men and women, have to see that, that we are not you know, uh, well, it's fulfilled all to ourselves, you know. Uh, we are, that, that would make us gods. We're not. None of us. None of us are. And so then you get into this passage, which gets in this head covering thing, which if you read this through, I'm not sure if they're talking about hair, because Paul says stuff about shaving your head, you know. By the way, um, did you catch in there too that long hair is a disgrace to men? What? Like, apparently they didn't see all these paintings of Jesus that we have. <laughs> He's the Messiah. I mean, have you watched the movie about Jesus? Like, he's got long hair. What are we, what? I know some of you are saying, that's not historically accurate. Probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, why would Paul say this? Paul says, man, I saw Jesus. This is not honoring to God. Is he talking about our hairstyle for real? How else is this manifesting our lives for real right now? We play softball. Softball season's coming up. We get a bunch of burly guys out there, guys that, you know, try just to not cuss on the field. You know what I mean? Like, that's how Christian we are. And we're just out there, and we gather up, and we're ready to kill each other. And then we stand in the middle of the field, and we say, let's pray. And every man, every man, even the guy in the back, take off his hat. Do you know that's what that is? That's a literal reading of this, that a man should not pray or prophesy with his head covered, but uncovered. Whoa. Okay. Did you get that? Oh, okay. We don't have time. Take off your hat for what? National anthem, for the flag. What? Recognize the authority over you. That's what, honor the authority over you. Flip the script here. Girls, women, don't do that with your head uncovered. You know what I've never seen? I've never seen women be like, what, poof, hat. Why not? Dudes are taking their hat off. Maybe you should give it to the girl next to you. You're going to need this. We're about to pray. That's what I'm reading, right? Why not? It'd be all sweaty and stinky. I don't know, put it on my head. Is this good, Lord? Is it covered? You know? No, it says, so, man, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, um, this is a hard thing to figure out because if you look through the text, later on we heard it, it says, um, go home, well, it's in the speaking part, it says, go home and ask your husbands. Is he talking about married people or single people? Paul's writing about this. We have to recognize a couple of things, right? Look at right above there. Um, if you've got those little uh, header things, they're kind of helpful sometimes to look in the big. He's talking about exercising our freedom in Christ, the church, right? I, I, I have freedom in Jesus. I want to do some things. And he's like, no, everything's under authority. Everything has got a structure. Everything's got an intent. 
And he gets in this issue of, of covering our heads. The bottom line is this. We are all called, all called to honor whoever God has placed for us because ultimately, and I want you to see the model here, that by doing that, and I don't do it well, but by doing that, we honor Christ. And Christ honors God. I'm just saying. You see? If you can look past that person that God has put over you, and this could be a boss or, you know, it, it, you know the government, you know what I mean, like the whoever. If you can look through that person to the ultimate authority, you can see Christ in his sovereign kingdom, his throne, and you can see the heavenly father who's saying, this is my son whom I love and him I'm well pleased, and we are children and inheritors of the promise. You know, we see that lineage. We can see it. I'm just saying. Things to think about. All right. I want to skip ahead now to verse 11. So look at verse 11 with me. And there's more we could say about that stuff. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there, okay, to start the conversation. Verse 11. In the Lord, however, women uh, is not independent of man nor man independent of uh, women. This was the funny thing because it said earlier that um, women... That, uh, what does it say? Let's look at it. Verse 8. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. I thought that was kind of funny, right? Because most men came from a woman. That's right. But he's talking about the original creation order, right? God created Adam, and then there was no suitable helper found, and God created Eve. That's the creation order. That's what he's talking about here. Woman came from man. You go, what's the big deal? What if that was reversed? I'm just thinking here. What if it was reversed, and God created woman, and women gave birth to men? That would, that would be a whole different thing, wouldn't it? We go, look at humanity. Look at how, look at what we've done. It's not what the Bible says happened, man. The Bible says God created man, and then God, God's, you know, Adam had all the animals, and he's like, there's no suitable helper. There's no suitable completer or helpmate. There's no person I can hang out and talk to. And then God put him to sleep and took one of his ribs, you know the story, right? And formed the woman in his image, in the image of the man. That's what it says. Then skip ahead now to verse 11, and this is... Um, we are inter interdependent on, in the Lord. It says in verse 11, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, therefore she's not. And man is not independent of woman, because just as a woman came from man, so man is born of a woman. So there's that lineage thing happening now, you see. There's this kind of balance that's happening now. God created man, God created woman, that women give birth to men, and there's this kind of interdependent relationship. Let me stop for a second and talk about this. Sometimes we have a tendency to think about this only in a, um, well, I'll say a sexual relationship, but I don't mean that like, uh, I mean, because we're all in those experiences for real, right? But as these gender experiences creating men and women, and, and we, we have that, we often think of that then as a, uh, we, can, we can wrestle with these texts, and we, we almost turned it that way this week about husbands and wives and all the teaching in that in Scripture, right? These things apply to all God's people, men and women created in his image. And that's what we have to wrestle with these texts in to understand what that means. That means that men and women are interdependent. And, and I, this is what I love about it, is if you read the scriptures, and I just read something that says at the end here, I'm going to talk about it in a second. Um, brothers um, desire to prophesy in his name, and, and, and I'll talk about what that means. And uh, don't forbid the speaking of tongues, right? The word Adelphos means brothers in Christ, which, if you're reading a new translation, is translated brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't think that they're trying to be politically correct. I think they're trying to answer the question the text is asking, which is, is it for the whole family of faith? And it is. It is. And so we have this interdependence between men and women, not just in marriage, where Adam has no considerable helper, but in brothers and sisters. You see what I'm saying, right? Like Adam and Eve, you know, you have this completer, but you have sisters and brothers in Christ that are there for us, for one another. And then sometimes God calls us to marriage. Whole other issue. Whole other issue. All these things have become, become huge for us. Um, and and they, we have to figure those things out in our lives. All right? Men, are, men and women are independent, interdependent in the Lord. And then the very next thing that the, the text says in verse 12 is this, that all this interrelationship is from God. Right? Look, um, for, as a, for as, a, as woman come from man, so also a man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. Everything. All of it. And so we're back to this kind of same idea that our rootedness is in God himself. Image bearers created uh, in his name. The word says that he knit us together in a mother's womb. And it doesn't say he knit some of us together in a mother's womb. And the rest of us were just cosmic accidents of some sort. That's not what the Bible says. No. He has intention and purpose in his creation. Okay. We got to get this 1 Corinthians 14 because we got to hit something else yet. Okay. So you can turn out of 1 Corinthians 14 if you would like. 
I'm going to push. Okay. Um, and I just want to talk about one thing out of here. It's in verse, um, let me find out where it's at. 39. After, after having this hard teaching about women being silent, and I don't have the answer to that because I, I'm like, because later it says, go home and ask your husbands about it. Go home and ask your men about it. What does that even mean? What does it mean? I know some people believe it means that women shouldn't speak in church. I don't know, man. I, that, that's a tough deal, especially with later on. It says in 39, therefore, Adelphos, which is the plural for Christians, therefore, Christians, brothers, sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Something else. Did you hear what the word said earlier in, in chapter 11? If a man prophesies with his head, un, uh, his head covered, it's a disgrace to him and dishonors the Lord. That's what it says, basically, right? But it says, if a woman prophesies with her head covered. Isn't that interesting? Tons we could unpack there. Is that marriage? Is that what's being said? Um, is it a hat? Is it a position of authority? What did it say? The woman should have uh, a position of authority on her head? Does that mean if you, if you belong to Christ... Paul says, I wish you were like me, unmarried. You could serve God fully. And he's talking not just to men, but women. But better that you be married than burn with passion if God's given you that. All this stuff is jumbled up in here. I'm just being honest about it, right? Verse 39, though, here's the point. We should all be eager to use our gifts for the glory of God. Verse 39, therefore, Adelphos, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. You see, Paul was writing about orderly worship, but he's like, but don't, and he's, this is consistent, don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't demand secession from things because you're not comfortable. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly manner. I'm going to back up now through this passage, and I want you to see a, a few things. In verse 26, what shall we then say? It's Adelphos, right? Brothers and sisters, when you come together, listen what the word says. When you come together, Every one, each and all, has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation that the people of God have been all given gifts to use. All of these must be done, what? For the strengthening of the church, the ecclesia. All of our gifts are required. All of the passions that God has given us, all the insight that God has given us should be brought to bear for the glory of God and the good of his church. Lest you think, I'm just saying, I'm always like, you know, I'm going to back up all the way to verse 3 of chapter 14, where it says this. Well, I'm going to start in verse 2 to be, for anyone who speaks in the, in the tongue uh, does not speak to men, but speaks to God. Indeed, no person understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. These are the gifts that he says later to desire for the strengthening uh, encouragement and comfort of the church we are called to bring our gifts to bear okay so if that's the way that is and that's some hard teaching what is the problem like why is this so uh, maybe some of you right now are all you know puckered up like oh this is gonna be a terrible afternoon <laughs> you know what i mean we're gonna fight all the way home about this <laughs> you know um i mean it has implications for everyone what the word says there's a famous verse in the bible and it ends in 316 and it explains the problem we have here you know what that is? Genesis 3.16. Turn back there if you would. I don't know if I have it on the screens here. Nope. Turn back to Genesis 3.16. Here it is. These gender battles are a result of sin. I want you to see that. I'm not making this up. In Genesis 3.16. This is in the middle. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned, right? You know the story. They had that choice to care, to be obedient, and they chose this obedience. And here's the result. And God goes through, and he doles out result or implications for every person who is dishonoring to him. There are, there's, there's things that happen. But look at 17, and we can't miss it. Or no, 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 um, 16. Uh, to the woman he said, now this is not being unfair to women. He ain't punished women more, but I want you to hear what's in here. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. We've heard that before. And with pain, you will give birth to children. We know that that's a true experience these days, right? Next part of the verse. Your desire will be for your husband, or your desire will be for man, and man will rule over you. I just want to settle on that a minute. Your desire as a woman created in a sinful world is going to be for man. And that doesn't always mean like, I want a man. You know what I'm saying? It means like, I want to be a man. I want a position of a man. I, I, I want, I, I want, why are you talking about hat, hats in church? And this pastor's crazy. You know what I mean? Right? And you get all, because you can take it. I agree, you can take it. You know? 
There's nothing stopping you. But the Bible says that this is a burden of sin. It's a result. Okay, we got to wrap here. And the men will rule over you, man. That's sin. That's sin. And, and I'm a man, so I feel that. This tendency to want to dominate. I told you, get on the softball field, you want to kill somebody. Softball. What? You know, be, be, be mean to a brother, be mean to a sister. The man, dominate, rule. Okay, that's the fundamental problem. We got to get to some verses. Oh, we got to answer one more question here, and then we will. Golly. Okay, this next thing, I called it um, apostles, shepherds, overseers, elders, and deacons. Oh, my. <laughs> because there's a whole bunch of stuff, and we don't have time to get into all this stuff. But I'm telling you, I started breaking down studying, and any of us could do this. So this is like a whole nother thing we could talk about, right? But I want to share just a couple of, of verses with you. Um, we know that there's qualifications uh, in, for leadership in the church. And I'm going to say that word, I just said leadership, and it's a very broad word. It doesn't cover all this stuff. But it says, this is in um, uh, 1 Timothy 3, um, starting in verse 3. Let's see, I'll start in verse 2. Now to the overseer. I think I don't have any scripture for this one. I'm just going to read it to you, I think. Let me see, put it up here. Okay, I, I put it up here. If you want to look at it. Um, now to the overseer, he must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see his children, obey him with proper respect. And it goes on and on. I'm going to skip ahead. Verse 8. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. If there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, this text says they're wives, but it also comes out they're women. It's the same, or not their women, it comes out women. It doesn't say they're. In the same way, women are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. Some translations say in the same way, deaconesses. And you go, well, now wait a minute. I know what you're doing there, right? Okay, that's one thing here. Acts 6, we don't even have it in the, the lineup today. Acts 6, Paul is an apostle and he appoints deacons, right? And says, choose some men from among yourselves. And he gives the points to seven, right? Including Stephen, who's the first martyr of the church. Okay, Romans 16. I might have this one up here. Let me see if I got it. Yeah, right? Paul, this is the same dude who wrote stuff about head coverings. He writes to the church in Rome and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church. And by the way, that church is in... Corinth. It's a port city in Corinth. Paul. So you're going to wait. My, my I'm going to look it up, Bill. And you look it up, you say, my translation says servant. It's the same word. It's the same word. I'm just saying. Paul writes this. So does that mean, I, I stuff to wrestle with, you know, does that mean apostles, shepherds, overseers, elders, deacons, where is God calling you to use your gifts in the church? First Timothy 5, or First Peter 5. That'd be a neat trick. Um, to the elders among you, I appeal. This is also, uh, this is Peter actually writing. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. I think I have this on the screens if you want to look at it with me. Yeah. Um, that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over. Listen to the word, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of, crown of glory that will never fade away. Paul, or Peter is writing to the church and saying, this is a high, holy calling. And there's ways to mess it up by being domineering. So wrapping up then, I have a, a teaching from Jesus. And this is from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's 2022. 20, and this is after Jesus tells his um, followers, someone is going to betray me. One of you. One of you here will betray me. Right? And, and then immediately... They begin, all his disciples who are following and learning with Jesus, they begin to say, it ain't me, is it you? It ain't me, it ain't me, man, is it you? You know, and they're just working this out, right? And it goes from that to this. I'm better than you are. I'm better, I'm more important than you are. You, you know how I've been following Jesus? I've been following Jesus since the very first time he stepped on this. I, you know, I knew Jesus when he was a boy. I remember Jesus when he was a little bitty guy. All this stuff. And this is what the word says. Oh, I messed up. Hang on, I want to go ahead to, oh no, I don't have it in here. I'm going to read it to you from Luke. Okay, I apologize. We're going to go to this too. Um, all right. Luke, I'm almost going to show you this is in here. 22, 23 through 26. 
They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would betray him. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over one another, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you should not be like them. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules should be as the one who serves. That's the teaching from Jesus himself, right? That that is our calling as believers in Christ. Um, yeah. And then I think what we have up here was it Galatians or Romans. There's also a passage in Galatians. You can write this down. Galatians 3, uh, 26 through 29. I can tell you what the paraphrase says. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Greek nor Hebrew. But all are one in Christ. If you think about the gospel of Jesus, the question becomes, does it restore all things or some things? Is, and th that becomes the conversation about Genesis. What was God's created intent? Here's what I'm going I'm to ask the uh, IRL uh, panel today to come up. I know I've gone a little long probably. I apologize. Uh, so much text here. And um, as they come up, I want you to, this is the word I kind of want us to start uh, with. And it says this. Do not think, this is Paul also writing to the church in Rome. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you should but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you, that each and all of us should think of ourselves rightly. So I wanted to um, ask you guys, now that we've covered all that, um, a few questions. And the first I wanted to start with, like, and this is an open question, uh, did anything strike you as just like, wow, that, that's, I mean, not affirming of me, but that, that's a great thing or that's something I don't think about? <laughs> Shouldn't ask yes or no questions. What <laughs> stood out to you? Um, you know, I, I, as I was thinking about uh, things as you're talking there, it, it really occurs to me, and we talked about this earlier, that you really can't talk about the role of women without talking about the role of men. Mm. You can't separate them. There's, you know, they're not a standalone thing. And it occurred to me that uh, if we have an issue with submission, mm or a problem with submission, we have a problem. Just period. You know, if, if either men or women have a problem with submission, we have a problem um, because we are to submit to somebody. <coughs> and, uh, and I think where we run into problems or challenges is we think that the pyramid stops at man. Mm -hmm. But it goes well beyond that. And, uh, and so, this is, this is relevant for all of us. It's relevant for everybody. This is not geared toward any one gender. So I guess that's really what struck me. Right on. Okay. Um, by the way, I did not do this before. I want to do this real quick. Uh, everyone, if you don't know, this is Lance Carpenter, um, a leadership team member in the church, currently a step back from that, but has been doing that for a long time. Been a member of the, a member, we're not members, <laughs> been around Family Bible forever. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. And uh, great um, leader. And uh, Matt Young, we met him last week. He's back on the panel this week. And um, uh, family groups and uh, prayer ministry and other stuff. And husband, by the way, husband, father, all that good stuff here too. Father, husband. And uh, Mrs. Julie Harrison on the end, uh, setting in with us. Uh, awesome family, bunch of kids. Been around church a long time. Not family Bible church, but church. Yes, church is. So we appreciate you guys being here. Okay, here's the next question I have for you guys. Uh, why does this issue have such potential to be divisive in the church? Or does it? And why does it have such, the issue, uh, such potential to be divisive in the culture? I think one of the reasons is kind of how you ended with Genesis, um, that because of sin, there is some conflict between man and woman. Uh, and I don't know a lot about, um, I guess, like, history or how pe men and women have interacted throughout history, but I know there's probably been a lot of conflict mm -hmm. and there's been oppression and uh, there's been sin. And that's, yeah. the Bible says that that started at the beginning. And I, I think there's some type of picture of um, the person who's maybe doing the most visible thing is uh, maybe has some higher honor. Um, but I like what you said, Lance, that there's somebody above you on the pyramid. You, no matter who you are, you need to um, submit um, to someone and to God. And so I think that sometimes that picture gets lost. Okay. Well, and 
can I speak as well? No. Okay. <laughs> I know we said we put Julie yeah, in the spot yeah, here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that intrinsically we want to be valued as people and that our sin nature wants uh, to elevate that, to have a label or a title. Mm. And really, as you go through scripture, we're supposed to serve. Mm. And, you know, we all have woundedness and we all want to be recognized. But really, if we are serving Christ where he calls us, that's way easier. Mm. It's whenever we start wanting, I think, to be valued and recognized publicly that it starts getting really um, uh, squishy and, and all sorts of problems start coming in. So back to that whole sin thing. Right on. You raise a great point, which is um, in prepping, uh, these aren't titles in the Bible. They're actions. Isn't that interesting? Apostles and uh, um, overseers and deacons um, are, are uh, all things you do, not what you are. Which is interesting to me. Well, that goes back to the thing you brought up first, which I also like was the responsibility being our ability to respond. Uh, I think that's, that's part and parcel of what you're talking about there. But also, you know, in your question, you've, you've highlighted two things, the church and culture. Mm -hmm. And I think where we run into trouble a lot of times is we try to make those two the same thing. And, and they're not. I mean, you know, I, I, will, I will say now that I commend Bill and the leadership team and, and Family Bible Church for even talking about these kinds of topics. I mean, I've gone to a lot of churches and nobody ever talks mm. about this kind of thing or, or topics like we had last week or spoiler alert topics that are coming up you know so so I I think this is really great that we're discussing these kinds of things as it pertains to scripture um, because it's very easy for us to be confused and and uh, and deceived when we start to uh, overlay cultures norms and standards on what we in the church should have as norms and standards and they're not the same thing uh, if they are the same thing there's no need for the church so you know, I, I think that that is not the case. And uh, so that makes it all the more important that we have these kinds of conversations. So, yeah. kudos to them with Bible Church. Man, and we can get baited. That's so funny. You said that the culture can bait us into things that we would never choose. Like, we, you've, you get baited into that. Um, okay. Uh, how have you, or have you, seen this issue create personal conflict in your life? Have, how have you or have you seen it create public conflict? And how have you or have you seen it create church conflict? I've, uh, I've been a part of a church before that um, originally started because they wanted to just have men leadership in the church. Um, that didn't really affect me directly uh, that I know of, but um, I've, been a, I've seen that, and they've just all agreed that that's how we're going to do things. And, uh, that's so much that they decided to start a new work mm -hmm. to do that. Anyone else? Have you had it create personal church or... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, the scripture Public. there where it talks about, you know, if a woman has a question about something, you know, mm. go home and ask your husband. I was convicted by that because, you know, am I in a position to be able to answer any questions? And that's part of, again, the responsibility that, that we often overlook. And I see that uh, a lot of times in churches where uh, the women are the ones who are most responsive. Mm and the ones who are uh, most well-read, and the ones who are most well-studied, and the ones who are most faithful in their service, and the men are slacking. And, uh, I mean, I, I'll just call it the way I see it. You know, I see a lot of churches where the men are not leaders, where they are not well-informed, where they are not men of God. I mean, I'll just say that. Uh, they're not following the model that God has designed for us men. And, and we take advantage of some scripture by reading one half of it and forgetting the other half. But, but that's where I have seen the most impact in churches is where the men did not rise up to the position that God has called them to be in. And uh, if we're doing that, we are failing as, as men of God. Well, and, and clearly a totally different perspective in that... Um, I, I do not necessarily always have the most submissive personality. I, I tend to be a little more vocal than maybe is 
edifying to my husband. But he is, uh, he is strong enough in his belief in the Lord and gracious enough uh, and caring enough for me that he is not threatened by that and that he is able to um, come alongside me. And this is, we've been married for 28 years. So this isn't like, you know, a daily, a, um, a one day it happened. It, it's been a process that he has been very patient in walking me uh, through that to see that to to be that um, church as Christ is to the church to be able to be secure in that and to understand that the ultimate responsibility will will land on him in a kind and gentle way um, has been just just powerful and to be able to um, to be in churches where women have had to carry responsibilities that probably were were more than they were called to do but the holes were there and the nurturing took over and they and to to see how that was a detriment to their walk with Christ and um, just to watch those kind of uh, relationships sad but good what do we, I want to kind of riff off that a little bit and ask, well, what do we do in this, if we're in a situation where we are, um, <clears throat> I don't want to derail totally into like husbands and wives here, but if, what if we are committed to a husband or wife and they aren't um, willing to walk in that space? What do we do? Well, we don't try to fix it ourselves, <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the cool thing is there is always hope. And, uh, and, and Christ... Uh, is able and God is able and and I've also seen many of those situations like Julie's described turn totally around through the faithfulness of one partner or the other mm-hmm. and um, you know if you're in that situation certainly you need to be in prayer um, but we need to be faithful to our calling and our calling isn't always you know, something that's, uh, you know, an, an ethereal thing that we're waiting for to hear a voice from God. Sometimes it's very specific. And in this case, where you talk about roles and responsibilities, it's very specific. So, you know, a calling doesn't have to be uh, mysterious. It can be very plain. Um, and if we're, if we're responding to that calling appropriately, God will be honored. And if God is honored, uh, we will see fruit from that, I'm confident. But, uh, you know, it's tough. It's not easy. This is, like you say, real life. Mm-hmm. And it's relationship. I mean, it's, it's community coming together and building each other up and praying for each other and um, not being afraid to, to walk through those hard places as well as those pretty places to, to be invested in each other. And I guess one common thing we have, all of us, because I don't want to keep, that's why I don't want to divert into like, well, marry, if you're married, you're married. Like, as we're just speaking to married people here, but um, we ultimately, what I heard you say too, Lance, is that we're ultimately responsible for ourselves and our own obedience. And that would be true for married or single. Like, how we treat a brother or sister is important, you know, in the same way. Um, one, uh, one question I do want to get to, because it is in there, and um, we didn't really flesh this out at all necessarily in my talk is how do we um, address or define complementarian egalitarian and feminist perspectives and I know we probably can't do a great job of that but can we give it a shot and just to explain what those things mean a little bit I think complementarian is like the kind of the word complement two different roles complement each other um, does that sound good to y'all yeah yeah that sounds good to me <laughs> You did a great job with that, Matt. That was complimentary, by the way. I was just trying it out. Okay. <laughs> How about uh, egalitarian? If we're here, because these are real, you can Google these words, the Wikipedia pages on them and everything, so. Yeah, that's what They're I did. official. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, egalitarianism was that the genders are equal, that there aren't um, definite roles, that mm-hmm. we are equal, but that we all have the same role. Complimentary uh, we are equal, but we have defined roles that line up with our nature more. Yeah, and, and I think that the difference between those two is very clear in the teaching about the body being made up of many parts. You know, there's lots of parts, lots of different responsibilities, lots of things people do. They're all different, but they're all, you know, needed. They're all necessary. Um, they're not all the same. 
uh, as it would be with egalitarian. Right. I thought you were like the feminist. Uh, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say, and there's something called masculinist or masculist now too. I mean, so it's just like basic, and, and by the way, there are flavors of all these things. So, you know, I'm not, um, I, I'm truly not trying to, because I'll say, well, you paint with your broader brush. It's fair enough, because there's like subsets of all these things as well. Um, but it seems to me that feminism or masculinism is, is trying to, you know, basically rally for your own gender. And who cares about the rest? You know, there's no consideration, um, or not much. Yeah, is it? Is tell me if I'm off base here, um, but it, it's kind of like looking at uh, uh, patriarchal societies versus matriarchal societies, where one or the other is in the lead role in that society, and that is just you know across the board for everything. I think that's what I remember. Uh, it brings yeah. mind an experience I had at Greenville College where. Um, there was this burly dude, uh, he had a beard, he was very manly, and he wore this shirt. It was, you know, muscular. And across the shirt it said, this is what a feminist looks like. And it was just in small font. And I remember one of the profs, who was a female, said, is that sarcasm or are you serious? Because uh, they were going to take him to task on it, you know. And uh, he's like, no, I really, he believed that was like an advocacy position, you know. And, and I think that that's what we want in the church is that we don't want anyone to be disempowered from what God has called and gifted them to do. That's what I heard in the text today. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the, the problem I see sometimes is it's when we start choosing sides. You know, when we start picking sides, you immediately mm -hmm. leap into a position of divisiveness. And that is one thing that is, is called out to not have in the church is division. And so, you know, when we start picking sides, and it, it doesn't matter if it's male, female, you know, uh, Red Sox, Yankees, whatever. You know, you start choosing sides, you start to create a condition of division, and it creates contention. And that's where, where we start to lose sight of the really important stuff yeah. and start to focus on some of the, the less important things, and we get distracted. And I think that's a ploy of the enemy, distraction. Uh, we start to get distracted by these other more mundane and you know trivial things. So I guess we, we always need to be checking our hearts and making sure that we're thinking and focusing on the really important stuff and not some of the minor stuff. Right. That's a great point too, perspective. So let's do one last thing and we'll wrap up. Um, <clears throat> imagine, and I know all of you have been around churches enough and all of you here have been around churches enough, imagine a really fruitful season of ministry you've had. Just take a moment and call it to mind. Right. Was, was this issue of gender roles and all that stuff a part of that season ministry? And if so, how? I'll be honest. When I think about fruitful ministries, that question doesn't even come to my mind. Right. You know what? Gender was not even an issue. You know, it's are people serving God in, in the ways that they're called to serve and utilizing their gifts in the way that God intended. When that happens... It's it's just really cool. And and so the issue of gender never really it doesn't pop into my head. Is that true for everyone? Same experience? Mm -hmm. Did you think about it? Yeah, I totally agree. I couldn't I was thinking but I can't pair that those two things up together. I think that's a good clue as to maybe the absence of that type of uh sides mm -hmm. is when God works the most and when people worship God the most and it's the most glory. Uh -huh. um, but no, I've, I, haven't, I haven't seen that be an issue at that time. Okay. Well, I'm going to be uh, a little more honest. We, we have gone through a really difficult season, um, and my ability to serve outside the home has, has changed dramatically. And so my ministry has been in the home with mm. my kids. And so I think uh, that is somewhat linked to my gender, um, but I, I have had to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of redefining worth, if you will, and redefining um, where my value comes from because there, there hasn't been a whole lot of um, outside interaction or a whole lot of outside validation or a whole lot of fruit from the outside over the past several years. And so I think that although we have been in church ministry for a long time and have seen, you know, had some great experiences within church, 
that that this last experience that we have had bringing in um, the little boys has been very fruitful it has eternal value but it doesn't look like church ministry Mm -hmm. it's just ministry yeah you know I'd love to speak to that because I, I can see what you're saying and I think one of the values that we try to bring forth here at Family Bible Church is the fact that our families are not separate from the church it's part of the church you know our church is made up of families mm-hmm. right, right. and uh, and families are made up of individuals mm-hmm. and, and, and how we disciple each other and how we grow and spiritually mature as individuals is going to impact how we grow as families and how we grow as families together is going to influence how we grow as a church uh, and, and then how we grow as churches hopefully will influence how we grow as communities and so I think it's vital to see that family and what we do within our families as part of church ministry. Whether it's got a label like that or not, mm-hmm. it's inherently part of what church is all about. So I think that's awesome uh, that you see that as a, as a ministry. Well, and I will tell you that um, I, I probably would have spoken those, those words and said, oh yes, what I'm doing as a mother is very important. But to actually, um, not necessarily in isolation, but to live it in a much tighter place has really nailed that um, a lot, solidified that a whole lot more in my heart. That that, that is a, a really definite calling and a really definite service. So if you're called to serve a large body of people, fantastic. But if you're tar- called to serve a small body of small people, that still is no less ministry and no less eternal mm-hmm. than anything else that anybody else is yeah, doing. Very well said. All right. Well, I did not warn you, but I warned you last week. Um, if you want to ask a question, you can do that right now. Anyone wants to ask a question? Not that we're experts, by the way. We don't present ourselves as experts, but fellow followers with you. For real? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> you don't have to clarify that either, but fair enough. Yeah, who, want, who wants to give that a whirl? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're the same thing. Um, you know, I think we culturally have given stature to deacons that maybe they don't deserve, um, but by the same token, we may have removed some, some stature from deacons that they probably do deserve because they are servants that are uh, doing a good for the body. But I think servanthood is the, the foundational underpinning of every role and responsibility that is laid out for us in Scripture. I mean, it's all about servanthood. And I, I love the, the last Scripture that Bill shared there, that we should not, you know, lord it over each other. We should be humble mm-hmm. and not consider ourselves better than anybody else. And that, that is really, in the essence, what separates following Christ with just about every other thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, being humble is certainly not something that's... Uh, you know, held up by today's society. And, and being a servant is certainly not anything anybody says, oh, I want to strive to be a servant, you know, except in the Church of Christ. So I, I don't know if that answers your question or, or addresses it, but I think they're the same thing. And I think servanthood uh, is underlying everything we do. In, in um, Luke, where Jesus says, um, the one who rules as the one who serves, it's diakonos. In Phoebe, in uh, Romans 16, it's um, uh, diakonos. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's kind of what Lance said. It, we end up translating these in English language, but in the original languages, it's the same root word in Greek. We're just choosing. By the way, same thing with pastor and presbytos, or, or um, overseer. There's one verse where it's translated as pastor, and there's three verses where it's translated as overseers. But that's the same word in Greek. It doesn't differentiate. We do. And, and I think that um, office of deacon was set up to serve the widows. They were not being taken care of. And, or the pastors, the, the teachers were being pulled away from their study time to take care of those. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. But that, 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 that term or that office was actually set up to meet the needs of, those, of the, that people group that was not being taken care of. Here's a crazy thing, by the way, just laying it out there for y'all. First Peter, he says, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you, a fellow overseer. Paul never says he's an overseer. 
that I could find. I dug and dug and dug. He says, as apostles, we need to be ministering the word and praying. So we need to appoint deacons. Isn't that interesting? Because ah, we, we, we flip these things around all the time, make it like laissez-faire. And then I start reading the text. I'm like, oh my goodness. That's an apostle that Paul says. As a sent person, we can't be waiting tables. Different, different perspective. Any other question? Thank you for the question, by the way. And if we didn't address that fully, we can chat after worship as well. All right. I appreciate your uh, indulgence in this. I uh, hope the exercise is fruitful. Our prayer is not that it would be fruitful because we thought of it, but that God is speaking to us. Um, our prayer also is that as we go from this place, uh, that God will continue to speak to you. And that if you're having a conversation in the car on the way home, it's drenched in the Holy Spirit's presence. That we would be as submissive and listening to him and not to our flesh, uh, which is full of sin. So let's pray, and then we'll ask the band uh, to return for one final song. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to uh, discuss this together, to worship you together, and uh, just to, uh, to, to submit to you. And we've heard that repeatedly today, that we're all called to this acknowledgement of authority over us, and we acknowledge you. Father, um, I, I pray a prayer for those who don't, who are sitting here this morning and saying, I don't, I don't need Jesus, I don't need God, and I don't need any of this. I, I pray not that they need us, but that they need you, and that we would all see that in our lives, that we would see our own uh, need, our brokenness, Lord, would you uh, show us our sin? And that's a crazy thing to pray, Father, but we all have sin in us. Uh, help us to be faithful and obedient, honoring to God as we follow you together. And we trust you with it, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.